Hey, we, uh, I'm really, really excited this morning. I don't know why I'm a little amped up. So we got a lot of work to do. Uh, we are starting a brand new sermon series for the rest of the fall where we're going to go through the first half of the book of Acts. And I promise you we'll come back to it next year and we're going to finish up the book. But we're going to start here in Acts chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, go to Acts chapter 1. If you don't, uh, I haven't said this in a while, but we actually put Bibles on the ends of the rows because we're a people that believes in God's Word. So we open it up and we digest it. Also, it's going to be on the screens here. Uh, hey, this week, as you're going there, this week I had the privilege on Friday of volunteering at my daughter's school. So they call it Watchdog Dad Day. So from like Friday at 6.30 in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's like slave labor. Uh, I thought I was going to show up and hang out with my kid. No, I was doing parking. I was doing like everything that nobody else wanted to do. But through the course of that, a guy, uh, one of the dads that was there asked me what I did for work. And that's a tricky question, right? Because sometimes they're like, they're intrigued and sometimes they're like, I got to get away from him. I'm going to get struck by lightning or something. Well, this guy, I told him I started a church and his response was, oh, I wonder like how churches got there. Like, I, he's like, I just never knew. Yeah, I was like, no. So I walked through the process. And, and this is really important because did you know that our church has a history? Some of you have been here from the beginning. Some of you haven't. But let me recap really quickly the history of our church. In 2016, I was here in Atlanta at a conference and God really started working on my heart to bring about this um, longing to start a church here in Atlanta. And I remember calling my wife after that. The long story short is I was speaking on this idea within our church, a church I came from, of sending. So our church was known for being one of those churches that sent people, like hundreds of people every year to go start churches. And I was telling people the strategy of how this is supposed to happen. And I remember after that conference, sitting down and sitting there and confessing, guys, I don't know if I'm willing to do that. Like, I love where we're at. Um, I tell this to people, and this is really important too, is we didn't come here to run from our calling. Like we weren't running from the church. We loved our church. We were running to something. So that began this conversation that led us to, in August of 2017, my family with my pregnant wife and two kids packed up all of our stuff, moved three times in six months. We moved away to another city to get started and to plan this thing that we wanted to become City Church. And then in January, us and 10, 10 people moved here to this city to start this church. And our group grew to a place to where on August 12th of last year, so we're a year old as a church, we launched a church in this school praying that God would not only create a, a gathering, which you can see is actually pretty awesome to think about the fact that we've only a year and a half ago, you'd have never heard of us and we're here. So it, it, not just a gathering, but a movement, a movement that would um, be built on the backs of people who prayed, longed for, and believed God to do amazing things. Like that's who we are, City Church. And the reason why I say that is because, honestly, what you're going to find in the book of Acts is that's what the entire book of Acts is about. Our history is not just a year old. Our history started in AD 30, right? A long time ago where God was already planting the seeds that you can literally trace back to a group of misfit people sitting in Jerusalem getting told that they had a mission that would go to the ends of the earth. This is where the word church comes from. If you didn't know this, I, I try to teach you things a lot because I think you're smart people, but the word church in Greek is actually the word ekklesia. It's two words combined. That means a set-apart movement. So, you know, somewhere along the way in history, somehow the word church transformed into this German word called, and I'm going to mispronounce this, which is really terrible, especially since like I'm a real German that was born there and has citizenship there, and I stink at this, but it's kirche or, or church. It's, where it's, a, it's a derivative from that, which actually means a building. So, so here's what you're going to find in the book of Acts, is our category for church is actually not a building, it's a set-apart movement. And movements move, right? This is the difference between what you think of as an event that you attend and a movement that you belong to. 
And somewhere along the way, I think that we bought into this lie that church is an event that we attend. We come and we consume. But what you're going to find over the next two months is that God has a really, really awesome movement that he wants us to be a part of. So today, Acts chapter 1, we're going to go through the beginning of how it all started. But as we do that, I need you to bear with me for a second because it's going to take a little bit of work to get there, okay? So read with me Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dwelt... I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So you got to ask yourself the question, what's the first book? Well, the first book is the Gospel of Luke. How do you know that? Because it's the same subtitle in the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. If you flip back there, which you don't do it right now, he's addressing the same guy, a guy named Theophilus. So Luke and Acts, most scholars will tell you, is actually one book. It's two volumes of the same book. Where in the first book, Luke is writing an apologetic book to this guy, this skeptic, named Theophilus. And in that, in in this apologetic book, he tells you that he's beginning to teach you all that Jesus has done. This is why this is important. Because according to Luke and according to the Bible, the, the Bible is not a book of philosophy. It's a book of history. It's what actually happened. So what you see in the first book, in the book of Luke, is that Luke is recording the very beginning. So Jesus's life, his birth, his life, death, and resurrection. That's the first book. That's all he began to do and teach. And watch this. In the second book, he's going to talk about what Jesus continues to do and teach through his church. So let let me help you here. Again, really nerdy, really awesome stuff. They call this, most literary people, if if you have a background in this, called a chiastic structure, meaning that there's a beginning and then everything goes out from there. The beginning or the, the chiastic structure of this book is Jesus. Jesus is at the center. And what you find if you really study this book, and it's really cool, is every point bridges off of Jesus in both directions and has a main point. So Luke and Acts is one book. So here's what Luke does. He writes a two-volume book to show you not just what Jesus began to do, but what he's continuing to do even today. All right? The book of Acts is going to show you how God is going to complete his mission, listen, by building his church. This is why my friend and pastor J.D. Greer, he wrote a book on the book of Acts, and here's what he called it. He titled it, Jesus Continued. He says that's the theme of the book of Acts. It's not Jesus is finished, it's Jesus continued. And if you're one of those people that writes or underlines or circles words, I'm telling you this word began might be one of the most important words that you could underline in your Bible. You see, the word began, it indicates, again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say this, but it's not over. It's not finished. It indicates that there's more to be done. And the book of Acts is going to show us exactly how that's done, that the resurrected Jesus is not the end of the story. It's simply the beginning. You see, Jesus is still teaching, and he's still moving today. The question is how? Listen, he's moving through his church. That's basically what the entire book of Acts is about. It's about Jesus, what Jesus is doing in the world through his church. So as we begin this this new sermon series on the book of Acts, I want you to see clearly the structure. That Luke and Acts are one book, according to most scholars, but listen, that Jesus is at the center, and when you read the Gospels, that's all he began to do and teach, okay? The book of Acts is what he continues to do and teach, and how he does that is through his church. So we're going to jump into verse 5 in just a second, but for the sake of just walking through the book, let me just summarize verses 2 through 4 really quickly. All right, you can read them on your own, but here's what's happening. Here's what Luke's saying. After Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 days with the apostles. And in that, he commissioned them to go and do something. Now imagine the conversation. Imagine what's happening here. You just saw Jesus raised from the dead, and he's like, guys, it's finished. 
right? You remember, that's his last words. But then he, he grabs them, and he, it's like a huddle, okay? Like 11 of them. I think about a football team, like a really good football team. Like, I can't say that because I'm still new to this church. Like the team that most people in Georgia hate, but I actually like, if you haven't picked up on that. And they're huddled together, okay? And, and, and it's a commission. He's like, all right, guys. Like, our quarterback just got hurt. All right, we got the backup in. We're going to win the game. This happened last night. We're going to score 18 unanswered points, and the good team's going to win, right? And, and, and he grabs them together, and he says, it's not finished. Like, I finished it, but now we got to go charge the hill. Let's go. By the way, if, I don't know if you knew this, but this was always God's plan. God's plan wasn't just for Jesus to come and die and leave and then resurrect everybody to heaven. No, God never meant, listen, God never meant for us to go to heaven. Now, I know you're like, what? What is he talking about? He's a heretic. No, he meant for heaven to come down. It was always God's game plan that heaven would come down to earth and listen, that we would be the ones that complete his mission. See, one day when God brings his kingdom back, he's going to bring his kingdom down. He's going to establish heaven on earth. But until that day, here's what he tells the church. Go. Go. Here, here you're going to see this. Look at verse 5. For John, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Holy Spirit. Now, again, right, we hear all the weird things that people think about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's actually quite powerful and amazing. Remember Acts, remember Matthew 28? And if you're new to church, here's basically what Matthew 28 says. It's the last commission from Jesus before he goes to heaven. But Jesus says, go, and as you're going, go make disciples. And listen to what he says, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. Right? Verse 5 essentially is God making good on his promise. Because you're like, how are you with me, God, to the end of the age? Through his spirit. When Jesus left the earth, listen, he didn't leave you alone. He left you the Holy Spirit to indwell inside of you. Here's what that means. Okay, because again, there's a lot of controversy over this thing called the Holy Spirit. Here's what it means. It means that if you are a Christ follower, God's spirit actually lives inside of you. And he does that so you can experience his power. Okay, so do you want to ask, how do you access God? Well, one, you access him through his word, but you access him through his word when the spirit of God lives inside of you. So when you become a follower of Jesus, all the way through the Bible, it tells us this. Jeremiah 31 says that God will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh and not of stone. All the way through the Bible, you see this idea that God will indwell inside of you and literally change your affections towards him. Okay, this is where we're going, and I'm going to show you this in, in, in verse 8, but keep with me. Did you know this? Did you know, listen, that if you were walking with Jesus, you literally have God's spirit inside of you? This is why Jesus told the disciples that when he goes to heaven, uh, and this is, this is nuts, but it's true, he says, you'll actually do greater works than me. Do you know what he's saying? Because this is huge. This is really, really big, and I need you to look at me for this. He says, literally, if you have the Spirit of God inside of you, listen, collectively, you're actually going to accomplish greater works than I ever did. Where do I see that? John 16, 7. Look, look what it says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now imagine the disciples. They're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You're God on earth. How is it to our advantage? For if I do not go away, the helper or the spirit, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So as crazy as it sounds, listen, the church, and Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I leave. So the spirit will be inside of you. Why? Because all of us who have the spirit inside of us collectively can do way more than one person ever could on earth, even if that person was God. My question to you is, do you believe that? 
Have you embraced the fact that God's Spirit lives in the 150 people that gather in this room every single weekend if you call yourself a Christ follower? And if we collectively come together, listen, we can accomplish way more than one man, even Jesus Christ himself could ever do. And again, how do, why, why do I have the authority to say that? Because God's Word says it. You will do greater works than Jesus if we do it collectively, together. My question is, again, do you believe that? Do you believe that it's better that you have Jesus inside of you than you have Jesus beside you? Would you rather have Jesus here on earth right now, or would you rather have the Spirit of God living in all of us? Well, according to Jesus, it's better that he's inside of us. See, I hope you do believe this and embrace this, because listen to me, you can actually change the world. We can change the world if we believe this. And that's the theme of the book of Acts. If you write things down, listen, the book of Acts is about God choosing to empower his church with his spirit to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's my summary sentence for the entire book of Acts. The book of Acts is about God choosing to empower his church with his spirit to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's about God fulfilling his promise by being with us and continuing to demonstrate his power by using us and calling his church to do that. You see, one of the greatest mistakes we make today is that we don't understand that the people of God, when we work together, is the most powerful instrument in the entire world. Did you know that? Did you know that you are God's game plan? Did you know that you are powerful and that you have purpose and that if you would collectively in unity do something together, we can create one of the greatest movements ever? This is why we say often that our church is an army and not an audience. Because I want to spend my life, give my life, not to building an audience, but to equipping, empowering, and sending you. Oh, can you imagine what would happen if we would do that? Guys, you have an amazing purpose because you have God's Spirit living inside of you. City Church, that's where we're going over the next two months. Right? We're going to dive into the amazing privilege that we have to finish the task of bringing God's kingdom down. I hope that you will embrace it. I hope you'll embrace the call and the privilege that you have with the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you because I hope that when you do and if you do, listen, I hope that you understand the difference that you can make, that you can literally change a city, you can change the world, and you can do incredible things even in your own life and in your family, not because you do it, but because God's Spirit working in you does it. Watch this. You ready? We're going to jump in now. Verse 6. Look at this. So when they came together, or when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All right, get the picture, right? So Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. He's already resurrected from the dead. He's spending 40 days with his apostles, and he's about to ascend to heaven, and they still don't get it. Okay, because the apostles, they, they really believed that God was going to come down and he was going to start a, a kingdom here. Like they missed the point that he was going to start a kingdom here where he would rule as a military leader and take over Rome. And so they look at him, they're like, all right, you rose from the dead. Is it time? Is it time for you to do this? And Jesus looks at him and is like, dude, your vision is way too small. Like I could come back now and I could do this, but I've got something way bigger than that. Like if you just track with me here for a second, I've got something bigger than that. Jesus isn't rejecting their question, but he's, he's widening their focus. So he can show them, look, if you just look at what's right here, you're going to miss the point. Listen to me, because this is really important. 
What if the most loving thing that God could do, and you don't hear people say this a lot, but what if the most loving thing God could do is not come back right now? Like you're thinking, and I know, we've been hardwired and trained to pray this. God, would you just come back, right? Or or, or Matthew 6, um, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, right, when he says, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's great prayer. That's great news for you. But what about the four billion people in this world who don't know Jesus? What if the most loving and gracious thing God did is not come for the sake of them? Think about that. You see, this is what I love about Jesus, right? We spend so much time thinking about ourselves, and Jesus takes our focus off of ourselves and zooms out. And he looks at the apostles, and I can only imagine where he's sitting here in this moment. He's like, guys, if I come back now, that's great for you. But what about Tim in 2019? What if I could zoom your focus out and I could tell you, like, I got a plan for that brother because I knew him before the world began. And if I come back now, his history is done. You see, he's softly rebuking them. He's saying, guys, you can only see what's right in front of you. And listen, this is a good lesson for you too. But I got a plan bigger than you. And it might not make sense to you. I just need you to trust me. Right? See, look at it closely. Look what he says. Are you going to establish Israel? Jesus says, no. No, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses, and then I'll come back and I'll establish my rule. That's it, city church. Listen. We keep asking Jesus, will you come back? And Jesus says, no, you will. Will you move? No, you will. Will you do this? No, you will. You're my instrument. You will do this. And when you do this, you will do incredible things for the kingdom of God. And notice, notice that the apostles don't argue with them. It's really cool. When Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what's happening. They don't, they don't argue. They submit. My question to you is, when things don't make sense like it didn't to them, are you willing to embrace and submit to what God has for you? Are you willing to take him at his word that he's moving and that you believe him, that you hold on to this? Or, or to say it like this, have you yielded your life to the leadership of the Spirit or are you still asking Jesus questions? That's a good question. Have you said, God, whatever you want, I'm, I'm in. You see, the answer to that question says a lot about your ability to get it or not. These men who had watched Jesus rose, race from the dead, they just had to listen. Listen, when you allow God to work through you, he does amazing and powerful things. Go back. Go back to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This word power, it's a really cool, unique word, but it's the same word that we get our word dynamite dynamite from. Okay, here's what he's saying. There's an explosion of the gospel that's about to hit, and it's going to hit through you. Right? Jesus is planting the gospel deep inside of you, inside your community, and when you're intentional with it, you, you see amazing things happen. I, I once heard uh, a pastor friend of mine, he, he said it like this. He's like, there's two things you can really do with dynamite. He's like, you can throw it in the air, or you can plant it in the ground. He, he says, imagine this. If God's power happens through this massive explosion, he goes, really, there's two things we can do as a church. So you can get in an airplane, and you can drop it out. You can drop dynamite out, and it'll explode, and you'll see it from long-ranging distances, but it won't make a whole lot of impact. Or, or you can plant it 10 feet underneath the ground, and you can let it explode. And maybe people from distances won't see it, but it'll make an impact that will be there forever. And my question to you is, if I'm going to, like, allegorically or, or expound this, this out, my question to you is, like, what kind of a church do we want to be? 
right? If the power of the Spirit is going to come inside of us, here, here's the question. Do we want to be the church that we have this massive impact and this great audience that from thousands of miles away, people can see it, but it doesn't really last, right? We create a great show where we dig deep down into our community. We dig in there and we plant the gospel in there. And yeah, obviously, it might not make this massive impact right away, but it creates a crater that changes history forever. I don't know about you, but I want to give my life to equipping and empowering you to do that because here's what I believe, is I believe that we can create this massive crowd. And I mean this humbly, it's not hard to build an audience. Like, musicians have been doing this forever. TV shows do it. It's not hard to build an audience. It's crazy hard to change a culture. So what if, what if we really believe that God's spirit lived inside of us and we dug ourselves down deep? and planted our lives here richly in people's lives and in our community, and we became little dynamite bombs exploding. And everywhere we go, we leave a hole so that one day when we leave, if we leave, or if this church goes on, or if I go on, or if you go on, people say, you made an impact on my life because you gave yourself to me. You gave yourself to the city. I think that's what he's saying. That's the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit's like a dynamite exploding whenever we can grab on to Jesus and we give ourselves. Guys, imagine. Imagine what it would look like if we moved ourselves away from this idea of just big impact quickly and we gave ourselves to something. You see, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus could have come back and he could have established Israel. And it had been like dropping dynamite out of an airplane. But that's not what he did. He gave himself to these 11 yahoos who systematically changed the world. Imagine. Imagine what it looked like if we widened our lens and gave ourselves to a global mentality. Think about how amazing it is. Like God cared about you 2,000 years ago, right? Like he cared about you whenever he was making decisions like this because he didn't establish his kingdom then, but he gave himself to other people so that he would multiply the impact of the gospel and 11 people would turn into billions of people throughout history who would be worshiping him. See, I hear people say it all the time, God, I wish you'd come back. Can I come back now? The world's broken. What if we change our prayer from Jesus come back soon to God, please send me? Imagine the difference that would make in my prayer life if I changed from God, come back to God, send me. Right? What would it look like if we changed our mentality from right here and now to a global impact? God, would you redeem the world through me? God, those 4.6 billion people in this world that don't know you and my neighbor next door that doesn't know you, God, would you please just use me to make an impact there? God, I embrace the fact that the church is your plan A and you've equipped and you've empowered us with your spirit. Now, God, would you use us? What if that was our prayer? Check out what he says he'd do. You will be my what? Witnesses. Another word, circle, underline. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, when the power comes upon you, here's what he says, you'll be a witness. Do you know what a witness does? A witness doesn't give you any new information, does he? No, he simply tells you the things that he's already heard and seen, right? Guys, don't miss the point. Here's what he's saying. Every Christ follower is a missionary because every one of us has seen and heard and experienced Jesus. This is what he's saying. I've equipped you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because you've heard the message. You are my plan A. Now just go. But here's what's super interesting about this word. Okay, we know what a witness is. Court of law, you go and you just know what you've seen. Here's what's super interesting about this word. This word comes from the same word that we get the word martyr from. You'll be my witness or you'll be my martyr. It's a powerful imagery, isn't it? It's a word picture that that Jesus is showing them, look, if you come and see, you go and die. 
<laughs> Again, how not to grow a church 101, tell people to go and die. That's not what, listen to what he's saying. He's saying the disciples are trying to figure out what's going on. And Jesus says, listen, when you get the gospel, you give the gospel, even at the expense of your own preferences. So you see, gospel people are sacrificial people. This is what he's saying. You're my witnesses. Now get the picture because it's the most attractive thing that human history has ever seen. Let me give you a few examples of people that you've heard of that have lasting impacts because they died to themselves. How about Martin Luther King Jr.? Why do you know who he is and how has he made a massive impact? Listen, because he believed something greater than himself, and now he was literally willing to give up his life for it. And he made an impact that ripples throughout our lives because that brother cared more about Jesus than he did about his own life, and he created an environment to where people started to have equality that they would have never had outside of a man who was willing to give up his life for him. How about the OG Martin Luther? 500 years ago, right? This brother, what did he do? He walked to the Catholic cathedral who could have literally killed him and he nailed something called the 95 Theses on a door and what he said was, you getting it wrong. And so I'm going to spend my life, he literally was outcast and spent his life translating the Bible into German so that people all over the world could have this thing in their hands. Because what he knew was, if people had the power of the gospel in their hands, it would change everything. And he did it at the expense of his own life. Imagine that. How about Mother Teresa, right? We're getting a little closer to home. She moved to Kolkata. Now, I've even been there. I've been to where she, uh, the home of the destitute and dying, which is crazy because it actually has an adjoining wall to a Hindu temple that still does animal sacrifices. So you want to talk about, you walk into the Hindu temple where you have demonic worship, you walk out, you walk into the next building, and it's one of the most amazing, beautiful, sacrificial things you've ever seen in your entire life. And you know her because she was willing to leverage her life for other people. No, I know. All those things are massive, right? How about wives, like my wife, who gives up her career willingly so that she can pour the gospel into our children and she dies to her preferences every day for people? How about you, right? What are the things that you die to so other people can have a life? This is what Jesus says. If the gospel is in you, it's impossible for it not to come out of you. And the way that it comes out of you is through sacrifice. And this is, this is the way the world's always worked. I jokingly say this, like, like Lion King, it's a circle of life. I can't sing, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to get this. Like, here, here's what's happening. You, you hear what his dad tells him in the Lion King. Hey, this is the circle of life. People sacrifice their life so we could live. This is how God made it. When a tree builds another tree, something falls to the ground and a seed is planting, things grow. This is what Jesus is telling you, brothers and sisters, as a witness, when you die to yourself, other people live. That's the picture. When you get the gospel, when you get the power of God inside of you, you die to yourself and other people live. Guys, it's how it's always worked. People who have made the greatest impact of the world are those who live for the next world. They believe Jesus and they leverage their lives for the sake of something greater than themselves. I love, I love, I love the, love, the way that C.S. Lewis says it. Listen to what he says. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. See what he's saying? The people who had the largest impact knew that they lived for something greater than themselves. They believed God, and they gave themselves up for the gospel. So my question for you is, do you know that the power of the gospel indwells inside of you? Do you know that? Did you know that you were like a stick of dynamite, that if you're willing to give up your preferences for somebody else, listen, you will explode and people's lives will change? Or, let me just say it this way, are you living for the temporary or are you leveraging for the eternal? Do you live for the temporary? Do you leverage for the eternal? Church, when we see ourselves as God's game plan, crazy things happen. Amazing things happen. 
Do you want to make an impact? Do you want to make an impact? Do you want to get to your life, into your life, and say, it was worth it? Can I tell you the secret of how to do that? It's not the accumulation of wealth or popularity. It's giving yourselves away. It's pouring your life out for your children or your grandchildren or, or the sake of the gospel or your neighbors or going to the ends of the earth. It's leveraging those things that I've never heard anybody get to the end of their life, never, and feel like, oh, I wish I'd spent less time with Jesus. Like, you never hear that. You hear the total opposite. You hear, I wish I'd have spent more time with Jesus or more time with my kids or I wish I'd have given more away. Guys, wisdom, listen, wisdom's not only learning from your own mistakes, it's learning from other people's, right? The wisest thing you can do is look at how somebody else has messed it up and don't do that. So check it out. You will be, here's the game plan. It's quite simple. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Keep spreading. That's what God's saying. Go, go, go to your neighbors, keep going, go to your region, keep going, go to people who aren't like you, and then go to the ends of the earth. Ironically, if, if you're nerdy like me, that's actually the table of context for the book of Acts. So here's how you're going to see it. The first seven chapters of the book of Acts are in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 10, they go to Samaria and Judea. Chapters 13 to the rest of the, bo- rest of the book, they go to the ends of the earth. And what's crazy about this is how the book of Acts ends. The book of Acts ends, and we're going to see this as Paul in Rome. Paul's in Rome, he travels there, and what we know, most scholars know, is that's not when Paul died. Paul actually leaves Rome, he goes, most people think, to Spain, and then he comes back, and then he's killed there. Why is this important? Listen, because the way the book of Acts ends shows you that the mission is not complete. That, it just, it's a cliffhanger, it just drops off. It says that the gospel is being preached and spreading to the ends of the earth. You see, the reason why the book Acts doesn't end like that, the reason why it doesn't say the mission's complete, is because you're the mission. The mission isn't over. It's time for the church to complete the mission, and you're going to see this through our study. So verse 9, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he, lifted, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them with white, in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. Now, let me address the, the, the obvious. This is weird, right? The apostles just hanging out, get this commission from Jesus, and tractor beam goes up to heaven, and they're like, um, Jesus, like, where are you going? And they're like, they look over, and there's two dudes, and they're like, whoa, whoa. And the guy's like, what's wrong? He said, let me see. I just saw a dude float in the air, and I turned around, and you're right next to me. Of course, like, this is super weird. Where'd you come from, Right? The angels, the angels are like the creepy cat that you walk out of your house and you see him on the door of your front porch and you're like freaking out a little bit. And this is what Jesus, he's like, what is going on? The apostles, they're, they're stunned in this moment. Jesus is just taken up, angels are sitting here. And listen, 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 listen. Listen to what he says. Why are you still here? Why are you still here? Go work to be done. Think about it. Jesus is taken up. Two angels are standing there. Look at God's compassion. The guy's nudging. You just heard what he told you. You see it. You see the power. That's in you. Go. That's how the church began. That's how it began. 
the craziest movement in the history of the world began with Jesus looking and saying, you ordinary 11 people, you're going to change it all. Let me get real practical. All right, I want to give you some practical takeaways. Right, this event that happened over 2,000 years ago is still spreading. And it's crazy, and it's awesome, and 11 ordinary people. I, I started with our history. Now, if you tracked it back, okay, I can't do this, but I'd love to. You know, we were at the Summit Church, and before that, the Summit Church was another guy named Sam James, who is this famous missionary in 1962, preached one sermon, then went off to Vietnam and spent the last 42 years of his life spreading the gospel there. Before that, brother, I don't know who, where he was or what he was doing, but if you keep tracing back, you'll find that we all, every church that's ever existed, find our beginning here. And it's really awesome. So uh, the church that started on a hillside in Jerusalem ends at, in our history right now at a school in Alpharetta, Georgia. And if you don't think that's powerful, man, I don't, I don't know how to, how to show you anything even more amazing than that. A promise made 2,000 years ago is still continuing. So here, here let me give you the practical takeaways of how this is going to work in your life and in our life. Number one is this. Listen, you have to be captivated by the message. You have to be captivated by the message, Right? This is very simple, but it's the most powerful aspect of Acts chapter 1. Eleven ordinary people saw and experienced something that changed their lives. Look, they weren't qualified. I don't know if you know this, but these brothers were like uh, fishermen and tax collectors and like all the people you wouldn't want to be. They weren't smart. They weren't educated. And these guys literally changed the world. Forty days before Jesus comes to them, they're scared, they're uh, running around. Peter is literally, like, made nervous and rejects Jesus because a middle school girl was about to rat him, rat him out. Like, these are the guys that 40 days prior were hiding and scared for their lives. And Jesus changes them. And listen, the entire world changed because 12, 11 ordinary people saw and experienced the gospel. Right? The, the reason, listen, you get this, the reason why the apostles were so so passionate about the gospel is because they came face to face with Jesus. They believed that heaven and hell were real places and the gap that stood between those two places was Jesus. They believed that Jesus was who he said that he was and that he did what he said that he did and he loved them and that Jesus was calling them to be his witnesses and because they believed that they were willing to go. Sociologists have been tracking this for years, and they're trying to prove that, like, a lot of skeptics try to prove that the Gospels were false, and the one thing that nobody can wrap their head around is how 11 men could go to their dying deaths, I know that's a double, like, whatever, they go to their dying graves, right, understanding and believing this message if it's a lie. Everybody says it's impossible. Somebody would have broke under the pressure. Somebody. There's no possible way that 11 ordinary people, when every single one of them were tortured to their deaths, would not have recanted unless one thing's true, unless it's true. Unless the reason why they don't do it is because they actually believed it. The reason why they were able to speak these dying words of the gospel with every breath that they have is because they were captivated by the message. If you want to change the world with the gospel, listen, you first have to be captivated by the gospel. So my question is this, is do you primarily see Jesus as useful or beautiful? There's a massive difference there. If, if Jesus is like your co-pilot that you stick in your front pocket and he's useful for everyday life, listen, you're just going to use him. But if he's beautiful, if he's, if he's unbelievable, like a pitcher, and, and I'm not really artistic, but I watch my wife. We were at, in New York at the Met and we're looking up and she's gazing at a pitcher and it's like she's lost in it. That's what, that's, that changes you. This is the way the gospel looks. Do you see Jesus as beautiful? 
Are you lost in him? Are you captivated by him? Have you understood that Jesus died in your place and that he rose from the dead? And because he did that, he loves you and he's commissioned you to do the greatest work ever because it's already finished. If you see him as beautiful, if you believe him, if you're captivated by him, amazing, crazy things happen. That's number one. Number two is this. You have to see taking the gospel as the responsibility of all, not some. Did you notice this? Details. Jesus commissioned all of them. Not just like superstar James or John and Peter. All of them. Even the guys you don't hear much about. Right? What if we shifted our mentality from the professional Christians do the job to we all do the job? What if if that was the mentality that we had? That God, I'm going to understand that the, the, the kingdom of God and the mission of God belong to me because the spirit of God is inside of me. What if you embrace the fact that God lives inside of you and you already have everything you need to take the gospel? See, one of the crazy things you're going to see is as we continue through the book of Acts, you're going to notice a few really, really crazy and important things. You're going to notice that after Acts chapter 2, which we're going to next week, this thing called the Pentecost, where all these people come together, they start speaking these weird languages, and and the Spirit spreads. The rest of the book of Acts, you're going to see the apostles are going to go to different cities to take the gospel on missionary journeys. But what you find is almost every place that they go, it says they're met by the brothers. What does that mean? That means the Christians are already there. So my question is, who took the gospel there? Not the apostles. Ordinary people like you and me. Now, let me say like you, because most of you don't think I'm ordinary. You think that I'm like I'm the professional. So here's, here's another one. Look, Paul goes to Rome. He gets to Rome to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and they're already there. Or, or there's another time in the book of Acts where it says that the gospel's spreading, and it, it was going to all these other cities, and everybody went except the apostles. See, what God's trying to show you is this, that you ordinary people are the tip of the spear for the gospel mission. You are. Right? I think that in America, we've, we've shifted and we've said, let's hire a great speaker and let's, let's create a gathering and then we'll invite people in. And here's what God says. No, the power of the gospel is when you understand that the gospel is in you and you go take it. Right? Listen, it's not people like me that make the greatest impact on the world. It's people like you. When you understand that, that you can take the gospel to places I never can. When you understand that I can't get into certain countries because I'm a pastor and you can because you're a physician. Like, that's crazy important. When you understand that you spend the majority of your life around non-Christians and I spend the majority of my life around Christians, when you understand that, that you have skills to go places and to do things that God has equipped you with and you start seeing the things that you have as powerful, you make the greatest impact in the world. So let me ask you a question. Do you see, or I'm sorry, do you think, listen, do you think that you can do that? Because here's, here's what I want to challenge you with. And I'm not, this is not original to me. We, as the church, can multiply the amount of missionaries all over the world without ever spending a single dollar. How? You. Think about it. Most of you guys are super talented, right? Most of you guys travel a lot. Somebody was asking me the other day, hey, do most of your people work in downtown Atlanta? They do they commute to work? I was like, actually, no. Most of my people commute to the airport. And they travel all over the world. Right? So what if, you, what if you saw that God was equipping you as a businessman or as a teacher or as a mom or as a physician and he gave you a skill and a gift that you can go and take? And check this out. What if you let your company pay for it? Right? When you're going to L.A. or Dallas or New York or London, you don't see your vocation as something you do and, and you're getting paid for it, but you see yourself as a missionary being sent out by God everywhere you go and you leverage even the company to pay for it. 
Imagine what kind of a difference it would make, guys, if you saw yourself as strategically being placed by God for an opportunity to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Honestly, guys, that's why we came to Alpharetta. We came to Alpharetta because of you. Obviously, like there's a need here, but look, we, we not only are a place that we can gather, but we're a place that we can have sending missionaries that sit right in this room because as I hang out with you guys, you're always going somewhere. So what if you just went and as you go, you saw yourself as a missionary? If you want to take the gospel forth to the ends of the earth, listen to me, you have to begin to realize that you are God's game plan. You didn't just hire me to do this, we do this. That's why our mission statement, City Church, is why our name is City Church, but that's why our mission statement is we want to be a group that multiplies disciples by leveraging you to worship our God, to serve our city, and to love our world. Number three is this. We have to make it really hard for people in Metro Atlanta to go to hell. Scholars use this word, unreached people groups. What they mean is these people groups are unreached because nobody's ever taken the gospel to them. Can I tell you something really crazy? We don't have any of those in Alpharetta. Do you know how I know that? Because you're here. Think about that. God has placed you here. He's got people in this city. Imagine what it would look like if you just said, I'm not going to let anybody in this city go to hell. I'm going to pray that there isn't a person in Metro Atlanta to go to hell, and I want them to choose. I want them to choose, and I want them to know clearly that Jesus is who he said he is, and he can save you. Imagine if that was our mentality, right? And listen, I want to be really clear. If you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to choose. I want you to know, and I'm going to say this really clearly, one day you're going to die, and one day you're going to stand before God, and he's going to ask you, why should you get into heaven? Why should you be with me? And your answer cannot be because I've done good things. Because according to the Bible, none of us have. Your answer has to be because Jesus lived in my place. That he loved me so much and he died the death I could never die. He lived the life I could never live. And he has united me back to himself. And listen, God, you have no choice but to let me be a part of your kingdom because of what he did. So people ask me all the time, how do you know you're going to heaven? I was like, I know, I know. And it's not arrogant. I know because I didn't do anything because he did it all. So friends, if you're in this room, let me just implore you. You don't have to get to heaven one day and not know. But one thing I do know is you're accountable. Because you've heard it. You know it. You know what Jesus did. And can I just say this? If there was any other way to heaven, why would Jesus have died? Think about it. Jesus even asked God. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. And God says, there's not. So he goes. I want that. See, if the church, if the church is still primarily about relationships, and it is, the people that come to this church are probably coming here because they know somebody that's in this room that invited them. If that's true, my question to you is, who's sitting around your dinner table? Because those are the people you're going to make the greatest impact on. Seriously. Do you have non-Christians sitting around your dinner table? Do you hang out with people? Community is the most powerful way to make an impact on the world. Have you given up on your neighbors? Is everybody in your life, do they look and act just like you? Because until you were wondering, or until you're willing to give your life for those people, everybody in this world and in our city, listen, it's not going to happen. Are you strategic? Have you made it nearly impossible? Have you made it nearly impossible for people to go to hell in this city? A few weeks ago, I did an exercise with our, our team that's going to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip, and I asked them. Um, the Greek word for household is oikos, like your Greek yogurt. 
Uh, and in that, uh, according to the Bible, it says your, your people, your household are those that we need to be sharing with. So we, we actually drew this out on a map, and I asked them, who are the people in your life that don't know Jesus that you, that you could share the gospel with? Listen, six of us sat in a room, and within two minutes, we named like 60 or 70 people. Then the hard reality, the hard question I asked them is, when was the last time you shared the gospel with them? I, can I just confess? We weren't very good. Guys, I, don't, I just don't want to get to the end of my life. And my neighbor next door that I had the opportunity to share with, I didn't. I, I, Charles Spurgeon, you know, I love the way he says this. Listen, if sinners be damned, at least, them let, at least them let them leap to hell over my bodies. And if they have to perish, let them perish with our arms at their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth of the physical exertion and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Why? I would, so, no, I, would sooner, I would sooner bring one sinner to Jesus than unravel all the mysteries of the divine world. For salvation is the one thing we live for. See what he's saying? I don't know about you, but that's something worth giving your life to. Right there. So, we've teed it up, okay? You're Jerusalem, here, right right here. Let me just give you some ways you can do that here. Okay, because I want to be really practical. Really, really practical. Number one is this. Serve on Sundays. Serve on Sundays. Can I give you two reasons to serve on Sundays? Here's number one. I think it's the best way to build community. Right? It's really hard to not get to know people when you're here serving. Here's the other one, though. List city church kids who are up there. Did you know they're pouring the gospel into a bunch of kids that don't know Jesus? Right? Imagine the impact you can make if you just served once a month up there, pouring the gospel out into those kids. It's super easy. We've teed it up for you. Here's the next one. Coffee cart. Coffee cart is a thing that we do at this school once a month where we, and we do it at Brandywine Elementary too, where, where we create like this, it's super easy, like this cart full of coffee and snacks and we walk around literally to every single classroom at this school and we serve teachers and we build relationships and we have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus and tell them how much we love them. There's a sign, the school, a public school puts a sign on the front of it that says brought to you by City Church. Pretty cool. They've teed it up for us. Next one, small groups. Get in a small group. Small groups are our community where believers hang out together. But listen, every fifth week of the month, all of our small groups serve locally in a local outreach project. We'll coordinate it. We'll do it for you. You just show up. Last one, and this one's I'm really, really passionate about right now, is mentoring. Here, so I went to the school this week, and I was able to talk to the, the principal about this and hang out with the uh, counselor, and they need mentors. Once a week for 45 minutes during the school day, and you can be flexible. All they need is 8 to 10 people. I told her, I said, don't worry, by the end of the month, I made a promise, so don't make me a liar. I said, by the end of the month, you'll have 10 people. And she looked at me and she said, we've only ever been able to have two. I said, nope, we got this. Our church will fill that up. So you're going to hear Clayton, who's going to come up and do an announcement in just a second. He's going to tell you at the end of the service, and I'm doing it again, me and him will sit down front, and we're going to get your name, phone number, and email, and we'll send you information. It's super easy. Anytime you want, during the week, show up at the school for 45 minutes, and you can literally change a kid's life. Or you can make me a liar. You see how I just did that? A little guilt trip. Mentor. Four, hey, we have four mission trips going out next year. That's another one. Um, do that. Here, here's the last thing. I'm going to fly through this. Number four, you have to believe that the spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. This is the key to this passage. You literally have the spirit of God dwelling in you. 
Listen, are you one of those people that long for Jesus to come back? Or are you excited that, about the fact that he has made you a missionary in order to accomplish his goal of taking the church to the ends of the earth? Church, God hasn't left you or forsaken you. He lives in you. Are you excited? Are you qualified? No. But God is. So he gives you one promise. There's that promise. He gives you one promise. Verse 11. I want you to catch it. Look closely. There's a promise here. Here's what the angels say. Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, here it is, will come back. He will come in the same way that you saw him go to heaven. See the promise? Jesus is coming. He will bring his kingdom down. But until he does, we are the mission. City Church, you're God's game plan and you can change the world. My question is, will you embrace it? Honestly, that's the question. Will you embrace it? Because guys, I'm not interested. I didn't move here and give up everything we had to move here to build a crowd. I'm just not interested in that. I'm interested in pouring my life out into people who understand that they have the power of God living in them and then the gospel explodes. I want to catalyze you, empower you, and send you into our city, into our world. That's why we end every church service by saying you are sent because you are the missionaries. That's why we, we gather at the ungodly hour of 6.30 in the morning to pray for our city. I know it's ungodly. I hate it. But I get up and I pray and I seek the Lord because I know, I know, and I know, and I know that God will move. That's why in our first year of our church, 35% of our average adult attendance is going on a short-term mission trip. We don't go because it's easy. We go because it's worth it. Guys, that's why we planted this church. We didn't do it because it's fun. We did it because we love you. And we know that God has a plan for this city if we'll just embrace it. Guys, this is what the apostles were told. This is what I want to tell you. He's coming back. He's coming back. He loves you. He hasn't left you or forsaken you. But until he does, you have the power of God living in you. The question is, will you embrace it? Will you be like a stick of dynamite that can change the world? if you'll just let it explode out of you. I promise you, your neighbors will change, your coworkers will change, the city will change, the world will change, and you will change if you'll embrace it.